I think that the number one job of a leader is to create a culture where people are happy to be together in the midst of the problems, that the more problems you face and recover from, the more emotions your group faces and returns from, the stronger, the more cohesive that group becomes. And uh, the less accountability you need because people know what's expected. It's just part of the culture. Hi, my friend. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. I'm Scott Young, co-host who, along with Dave Donaldson, brings you into a journey to increase your influence, to change your world, and to change the world that you live in, to go from your neighborhood to the nation's. Dave is out on assignment today, but we've got a fascinating program looking at some uncommon habits. You know, there's really three essential concepts that help us to grow in our influence, our focus, our engagement, and our productivity. Today, we're talking with Marcus Warner. He is a scholar. He is a president of Deeper Walk International. He's got a varied background. He's worked as a pastor, as a college professor. He's been an author. He's written on various subjects as varied as spiritual warfare, emotional healing, leadership. He has helped organizations like the Navigators, Willow Creek Prison Ministry, Moody Church. He brings practical tools for dealing with root issues that keep people stuck. He'd really like to see us get unstuck today. And Marcus, want to welcome you to the Influencers Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's a really an honor, Scott. Good to be here. We really appreciate it. You know, just reading those words, uh, focus, uh, engagement, productivity, mm-hmm. I was thinking about them. What's the difference between engagement, what that word means to you, and, and productivity? Yeah, well, I, they're great words because um, engagement is about r- relational participation, Uh, How do you create engagement? How do you get your people to do the stuff that you want them to do? That's engagement. Productivity is kind of the result of engagement. So it's much more uh, results oriented. So in order to increase our productivity, we have to increase um, our engagement. And the word focus is perfect there too, because they actually describe the two sides of what your brain is doing. One is really excels at focusing on things. The other side really focuses well on creating engagement and the results of those are productivity. So focus, did you believe that people's focus has diminished over these years or what, what do we do to increase focus? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There is no question our, our intention span has diminished. So one of the things that, um, you know, my co-author, Dr. Wilder is a neuroscience expert. And so one of the things that he's helped me understand is that we have a fast track system in our brain that is constantly um checking out what's going on in the background, kind of at a subconscious level. And it's responsible for telling my brain what to focus on. And when I do focus on it, I do, that tells me I need my undivided attention. I got to really dive in here. So we've got a couple of issues. One is we focus on the wrong things. And the other is we don't stay focused you know, long enough or in the right way to actually get to uh, problem solving. And that's really what focus is about. Which problem am I supposed to be solving right now? And so if that's not, yeah. Do you think technology that is constantly grasping for our attention, beeping, phone call coming in, do you think that has diminished our focus? Yeah, I do. I think, uh, for one thing, we have so many voices calling for our attention that we focus on wrong things. And so we get things beep, and all of a sudden, I've, I've lost my focus on what I was doing because something beeped. 
right? And that's got to affect our productivity uh, in the long run because I have to be able to maintain my focus on what's really important uh, in order to get the results that I'm looking for. So, so how do you think we focus with all of this technology? Do we, do we turn it all off? Do we just say, I'm not dealing with that right now? Or, or maybe some habits you use in your life? Yeah, well, there's times when you got to turn it all off, right? It's like nobody can disconnect completely, but there's got to be periods of time and windows in your life where you disconnect. Um, there's got to be some ways that you uh, aren't, aren't available. I heard one person call their phone their their electric leash, right? And I'm like, there's times you 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 don't want to be available, and I, I think that everybody needs that, and it's just good for us. Um, yeah, when I'm going to write a book or something like that, I I have to have hours of time where I can't be interrupted because um, I need that kind of focus. So you brought these concepts or you help us to understand them and our listeners that uh, want to just increase in their ability to influence and ability to lead. You've written the book, uh, Rare Leadership in the Workplace, and you talk about rare habits. So let's delve into those, what those habits are, how they, how they help our lives, really. So these habits are really focusing on engagement, right? That's the problem we're trying to solve. How do I create greater engagement so I become a more effective leader? And the uh, rare is an acrostic to help us remember it. Okay. Okay. So R is remain relational. A is act like yourself. And the second R is return to joy. And if we do those, it's the ability to do those um, while we're enduring hardship. So E is endure hardship well. And the idea here is that literally it comes from the way our brain operates. And that is if uh, when I get upset emotionally, if I get too much emotion, my brain will start to cramp. And when it does, I lose access to my higher level brain functions. And it's at those higher level brain functions that I have the ability to be upset, but stay remote relational. Mm -hmm. I have the ability to get upset, but act like myself. and, And so that's what we mean by maturity. Mature people remain relational. They act like themselves. They return to joy. And thus they endure hardship well. And so those are the four habits of our leadership. So remain relational. So say something like ticks me off. Somebody right. cuts in front of me or there's a, someone barges into my office with a bad news. How do I remain relational when I feel my blood pressure rising? Yeah, that is uh, kind of what separates mature from immature. And that is immature people, as soon as the blood pressure rises, they sna- they, they, that top level of their brain stops functioning uh, um, effectively. And as a result, I turn into a different person and I stop mm-hmm. being relational. And now what happens when you can think about moving from the right side of your brain to the left, mm-hmm. and that my left side is all about problem solving. And so when I stop being relational, what I now do is I treat you like a problem to be solved instead of treating you like a person, which is what remaining relational is, uh, I, I start treating you like you're a problem. And as soon as I do that, I go into damage control. I'm just trying to protect myself from emotions I don't wanna feel. And I stop really worrying about you. And so remaining relational is essentially the idea that I, I wanna keep those relational circuits in my brain functioning so that I, I don't shut down, I don't blow up, I don't you know, melt down but you, you, you know, you're still going to get me, uh, even when I get upset. So when you say act like yourself, you, you're mean, act like your, your better self, not your yeah. worst. Well, self. we're talking, yeah, exactly. No, too many of us, what, and then too many of us define who we are by our malfunctions. Yeah. It's uh, it's us when we're malfunctioning. What we're talking about here is that there's actually a center in my brain 
that is uh, kind of the captain of the brain and when it is working and when it is on, uh, then I get my best self. And so when we're talking about acting like um, my best self, that is exactly right. And that's where that comes from. So yeah, can you think of a scenario in your life where you had to like, okay, be aware I'm slipping into my non-self or my worst self and, and pulling yourself back from that? Oh yeah. You know, I, when I first noticed it, obviously it was in my marriage. Right. And that is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Right? sure. And that's where you notice that there's this tone of voice that gets used and you can feel yourself shutting down. And I'm like, okay, I, I will tell myself things like keep the relationship bigger than the problem. Right. Okay. Don't, don't, don't turn your wife into a problem here. So in the same place in the workplace, it's when somebody brings me bad news, when somebody like shames me and makes okay. me feel like something's my fault when mm -hmm. I know that isn't my fault. Uh, those are the, I treat them like temptations, right? These are the, these are moments where I am now going to be tempted to become immature, treat them like a problem and stop acting like myself. But if I can't be the same person when I feel shame that I am when I'm not feeling shame, then people are going to walk around me on eggshells because right? they're, they're, they're never going to know which markets they're going to get. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So when we say act like yourself, it's that consistency of character that says, I can get angry, but you don't have to be afraid of me when I get angry because I'm going to remain relational and act like myself. So you're doing some self-talk. Like you're almost yep. like telling yourself, like uh, reframing the story. Is that a way to say what you're doing? Yeah, especially while you're learning the skills, um, that's what you've got to do. The goal and the way we, mm -hmm. reason we talk about these as habits yep. is that mature people aren't talking themselves through it. It just happens automatically because okay. it's become a habit. Yep. But while I'm growing the habit, yeah, I've got to, um, I've got to recognize that I'm in a moment of temptation. I've got to go through some self-talk, and I got to realize that the problem I'm trying to solve here is how to get the rest of my brain back online and act like myself, not the, that that's a more important problem right now than actually dealing with the person in front of me, make sure that I act like myself. So, so how long, maybe it's different for different people, but how yeah. long to move from uh, practicing, practicing, practicing till it becomes a habit? Yeah. Well, habits uh, require minimum 30 days to begin to form. Okay. Be mm -hmm. And that's because uh, as your neural pathways form in your brain, it takes about 30 days for, um, the white matter to begin to, to form. Okay. And then it takes about three months for something to really start becoming where you're not thinking about it. And so that's in practical terms, we're looking at one to three months for something to become, you know, where I don't have to go through the process of thinking myself through it. So it's not just finish reading the book, rare leadership in the workplace, closing the cover and go there, I got it. You right. then have to practice the practices. Right. Now you talk about joy, which is very fascinating. And you, you return to joy. Talk about what that means and yeah. the importance of joy in the workplace, in your home, in your family. Just talk about the importance of joy with your. Yeah, research. sure. So what uh, what we found uh, there's a guy named Dr. Alan Shore who's sometimes been called the Einstein of modern psychoanalysis. He came out of the UCLA Medical Center, and when they first started being able to do brain scans and study the brain in real time. Uh, he really is the one who came up with the idea that your brain wants to run on the fuel of joy mm. and that if it can't run on the fuel of joy, it will default to the fuel of fear. And so I'm either going to be running on joy or I'm going to be running on fear. Well, if I run on fear, then I tend to use negative emotions to motivate myself. I tend to use no negative emotions to motivate the people around me and I create engagement with fear. Uh, so I use an, uh, anger and shame and you know, those sorts of things with, with people. 
And it always creates a toxic environment around me. So when we're talking about living on the fuel of joy, where there's literally a part of your brain right behind your right eye that grows with the experience of joy. And so the more that I can train my, my brain that I'm not just looking for problems to solve in this life, there's plenty of problems. I have to learn what there is to enjoy, what there is that brings me peace, what there is you know, that helps me take a break. I got to create a rhythm to my life that's sustainable. Because if I'm constantly running on fear, then I'm treating everything like a crisis and I'm going to burn myself out. I'm going to burn out the people around me. So when we talk about returning to joy, um, what that technically means is I got to get my brain out of the cramp that it's in so that the higher levels of my brain can function. The part of my brain that knows that, that, that grows with joy. That's also the same part of my brain that remembers who I am and how it's like me to act. So all of these things are really about activating those higher level brain functions. And you said there's something behind my right eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what happens is the way that your brain grows when you're a baby is it grows up and it like hits the top of your skull and begins to bend forward. So the top of your brain is at the top of your head. Yeah. The top of your brain is actually behind your right eye. And so what that part of your brain uh, will grow over time with the experience of joy and it determines your capacity for joy. And so there are high joy people tend to be emotionally mature people because mm -hmm. you think about it this way. If you wake up on a low joy day, it just doesn't take as much to overwhelm you. But if you wake up with a high joy day, it's going to take a lot more upset to, to kind of push you past your capacity. So there's a direct connection between joy and my emotional capacity to remain relational and to act like myself. And so if I lose those abilities, the second, the, the third thing I got to learn how to do is I got to learn how to recover, right? How do I get back once I've lost it? And we all do that because we all hit our, our, our limit, our capacity. We all say things to people we regret. Like, you know, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't, you know, given him that look. It's a sign that uh, I've got a problem here that I need to recover from. And that's what we mean by returning to joy. So are you a joyful person? If I asked your wife, yeah, would she say, yes, my husband uh, is a joyful guy. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I wasn't, I have always had, you know, like most people, I can be really relational, really joyful at times. But what I had happened is I began to notice that there were holes in my maturity. And she would tell you there are holes in my maturity. And that is that I am basically a joyful person, but um, certain buttons get pushed. I lose my joy very quickly and I get stuck in negative emotions. So the thing I've had to be working on, like just as writing this book is kind of like giving me a, a journey. This is a journey I need to be on is recognizing which emotions do I struggle the most with returning to joy from which emotions are the, are the biggest stumbling blocks for me. And, uh, and, and that's what, uh, uh, so what I've been working on. So I would say, yeah, in, in general, Although I, I was raised very left brain, right? Very analytical, very problem. So most leaders are, because most leaders get where they are because they're excellent at problem solving. But the leaders we love to follow are not only good problem solvers, they're also have the maturity that they do relationship well and they handle emotions well. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're really talking about. That's what separates, you know, the leaders we have to follow from the leaders we love to follow. So for our people that are listening, is it possible for them to implement practice these habits and literally end up three months, six months next year at this time, just with a general sense of greater joy. Will they smile more? Will they, will they yes. laugh a lot? They will smile more. They will have a greater sense of peace. It will be harder for them to get overwhelmed. Um, it will help them grow if they put these things into practice. Um, 
because what happens is literally things start changing in your brain. Your brain is a natural amplifier. Mm -hmm. And so if up until now, your brain has learned, oh, what we're supposed to look for and make big are problems, then that's what your brain will do. But if your brain is learning what we're supposed to look for and amplify are reasons for relational joy. And I will mm -hmm. say this about joy. The joy, the way we're talking about it is always relational. Ah, that's very good. Right. And, and so, for instance, if I'm getting my, if I'm doing work and I'm thinking about when I turn this in, they're going to be so happy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm already experiencing joy while I'm doing my work, just anticipating, you know, how happy I know people are going to be when I'm done. But if I'm doing my work and I'm thinking, oh my word, I, 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 I could get in big trouble. And my, my whole motivation while I'm working is, is the fear of, of what might happen at the end of all this. That's not sustainable, right? I can't do that all the time. It just wears me out. It turns my, you know, my insides out. Sometimes you have to deal with those things, but what we're trying to do is retrain our brain to be able to return to a place of joy and peace. And joy and peace are kind of like the flip sides of the same coin. So joy is a high energy, happy to be with you. And peace is a low, low energy, happy to be with you. Kind of like we can hang out. We don't have to be on. And that's great. That's mm -hmm. peace. Or uh, we can uh, be together and we can really be enjoying this and having a good time and laughing. And that's, that's joy. That's high energy joy. So we all need both in our lives. So just listening to it, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, is there any joy that is not relational? Like I'm just thinking my moments of joy, what brings me joy, right. what gets me going. I'm just, they're all connected to people that are part of that joyful experience. So I'm just, is there joy without relational shit? Not from your brain's perspective. There is no joy without relationship. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be with somebody. Yeah. You can have joy remembering somebody. Sure. Right. And you can have joy anticipating somebody. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can also have joy with people. So I look at it past, present, and future. Like I can, uh, and it's important. That's why it's really important for us to have something to anticipate with joy in our lives. People who don't have anything they're looking forward to get depressed a lot more, a lot more quickly. So, and people who don't have those joy connections, like they look backwards and they don't see a lot of joy. They look in their present and they don't have a lot of joyful connections with people. And they look in their future, they see no hope of joyful connections in the future. Those people are in trouble emotionally, right? That is not a, a recipe for, um, you know, emotional capacity. And that's why this is so important because we all have to face problems. We all have to face big emotions. I'd rather do it with people who I know are happy to be with me, even in those emotions. And that's really what leaders are supposed to do. I think that the number one job of a leader is to create a culture where people are happy to be together in the midst of the problems, that the more problems you face and recover from, the more emotions your group faces and returns from, the stronger, the more cohesive that group becomes. And uh, the less accountability you need because people know what's expected. It's just part of the culture. It's not built in. And uh, people start saying things like, this is who we are. This is how we do things. And it comes out spontaneously. And so I think the job one of the leader is creating a, a joy-based culture rather than a fear-based culture. And that's something I think a lot of us miss. How do you create a joy-based culture? In say you, say you are a person of faith, they've read your book, and you're living in a in, you're working in a place that's not too joyful, not too full of faith. How do you make an influence in a place that is difficult? Right. Well, let me give you an example. Okay. So there was a, a nursing unit at a major hospital in uh, Baltimore mm -hmm. and uh, the uh, concepts of the book, the book hadn't come out yet, but they'd, they'd heard the teaching on the concepts 
took it to their nursing unit side, we are going to become a joyful nursing unit, right? Mm. Again, major hospital, huge city. Um, And so what they did is they did a couple of just basic training things. So that is when you first walk into the room, make eye contact, show some curiosity, Mm -hmm. uh, express appreciation and be kind. So we call it cake, right? Cakes, be curious, show appreciation, be kind, make eye contact, and then go about your work. And just add those little elements to it and watch what happens. And so you start training in these little skill builders along the way. And before you know it, people are looking forward to seeing you the next time you see it, because they Mm -hmm. know that you're going to be genuinely curious about their perspectives and their emotions. You're going to be, you know, genuinely appreciative about things. And, uh, you know, that makes all the difference in the world. And what was interesting in this particular uh, case was that at the same time, this is happening in this this unit, another unit was going high accountability and they mm-hmm. were sort of doubling down on fear. And what you found was patient approval weight ratings went up 33% in that unit in just a couple of months. Uh, they began to realize doctors were faster to make their rounds. Uh, you know, nurses were wanting to get transferred there. Everybody wanted to be on this unit because they were keeping relationships bigger than problems. Whereas on the uh, high accountability unit, problems was everything. And if you didn't deal with the problems, you were in more trouble. And so it was just a scale of how much fear do you want to deal with? So just run through the acrostic one more time, the uh, rare. rare. And so we get those four habits mm-hmm. that we need to be working on. Just give them to us again. Yeah. Remain relational. Act like yourself. Return to joy when you lose it. And then endure hardship well. Talk about hardship because there are people that are facing difficult times. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's teams that are broken. Right. And how do we, in the midst of that, not, you talk about hope and having a, a positive expectation. Uh, how do we endure, uh, how do we develop a habit of enduring hardship? So first of all, we recognize that it is a goal. It's what the Bible would call long suffering, yeah. right? Or And so the idea here is, what does that mean to suffer well? Because we all suffer, right? Let's mm-hmm. face it, we all have to go through stuff like yeah. this. So to do it well is simply to practice those first three habits. And so the idea is that if I am, like we're all having to deal with wearing masks more than we want to wear masks, right? And it gets hot and it gets sticky. And, you know, it's like, there's things about it we don't like. And then we all have to do stuff we uh, in the workplace that is hard and people blame us for things that aren't our fault and people get angry. And there's, there's a lot of emotion in the workplace. So what we're trying to do is give ourselves a tracks to run on here. And that is, well, what is it I need to be focusing on? All right. Well, let's stay relational. It's been, it's, it's the people in the group who can, when all, everything is falling apart around them, they're the ones who remain relational and act like themselves and can help everybody else return to joy. Those are the people we need, right? Those are the mature, that's the level of maturity we're looking for in those situations. So we have to grow to be that sort of person. It's not just a choice we make instantaneously, but it starts with the choices we make. And it's like, I had a pastor friend who used to say, whenever there was a meeting, well, who's going to be the adult in the room, right? (laughs) And you know what he meant? It's like, who's going to make sure the emotions don't get out of hand? Who's going to make sure that the relationships stay bigger than the problem and that this doesn't turn into a disaster? And that's essentially what we're describing. We're describing what is adult maturity. And we're using the brain science underneath it to anchor that as this is why we know this is what maturity is, because this is your brain functioning well underneath all of this stress. 
So the yeah, remaining relational means I don't shut down. I don't blow up. If I do, then I realize I got to return to joy. I got to do some repair here. And I want to get back to being relational as soon as I can. Well, fascinating. Uh, uh, this is, it, book would be a great read. People can find it. How, how do they connect with you? How do they connect with the material that you're talking about? Well, the rare leadership specifically is rareleadership.net. Okay. And uh, we, uh, we have two books. We got a rare leadership um, original book, which is more ministry oriented and actually is a bigger book with a lot more brain science in it. But our, our, we wrote it for people in Christian ministry. Then the second one, Rare Leadership in the Workplace, was because a lot of people were coming to our training and going, I, yeah, I love it, but I can't take this Bible forward book into the, yeah. into the workplace, right? So yeah. we wrote a workplace version of it, much shorter, hardback, um, and it's uh, brain science forward, and, uh, but an easy read and, and, and quick to this. We've also put uh, eight uh, maturity workouts into that book so that you're like, okay, the, I have concrete exercises I can start working on to build these things into my life. So again, that's realleadership.net, and uh, that's where they'd find us. What a joy, and I want to thank you very much. I've, I've learned I've, I've learned that it's, I'm either going to be in joy or fear. If I see myself in fear, I can't be in joy at the same time. And just to be conscious of that inner story that's going on inside my own soul, I like to live in joy. And this is a fascinating brain science forward way of looking. I've learned... I've learned that my the top of my brain is behind my right eye. There you go. <laughs> and Dr. Marcus, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much for sharing with us here on the Influencers Podcast. And um, we just appreciate the conversation. Well, absolutely. You guys are doing great work and it's uh, nice to be part of it. And all our friends, remember that you are called to be an influencer in your neighborhood, in reach out to the nations. We want you to shine brightly in a dark world. We want you to be that love that never fails. And please smile more. Please laugh a lot and have more joy in your life. I'm Scott Young, the Influencers Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus. Jesus.